0: that you are the great I am God there is none like you there is none that can compare to you you are the amazing the incredible the almighty God of this universe you are the great I am so Lord I just pray right now God in each and every one of our hearts right now we'd be focused on you the fact that the God of this universe is present in this place is beyond our comprehension but you are here as your praises have been lifted up to heaven, God, I pray that you are, you are here in this place and your Holy Spirit is dwelling among us, Lord, and is moving in our hearts and challenging us and showing us things in our lives that we need to be focused in on right now. Uh, God, your word, Lord, it corrects, us, it corrects us, it instructs us, it encourages us. I pray that all of that happen right now. Lord, I pray that all of that uh, would happen as we study your word. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. God, be with us now as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so we've been in a a study on Moses and uh, the I Am, is what we called that series, but today we're switching gears, today is a new day, Uh, today is a new series, we're switching gears a little bit. Um, We've been asking the question about who is the I Am, what was He all about, and as Jesus came into the world, He is God, has revealed Himself even more in who He is, in that He is Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and now that we see how God has fully revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, as we lead up into uh, Easter, uh, we need to ask the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? Not only uh, the person of Jesus Christ, but who is he to you? And in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, it says this, and Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, him and his disciples. When he got there, uh, the, Jesus asked them, he said, who do they say the Son of Man is? well, they replied and said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus asked his disciples, they said, that is who they say that I am. Who do you say that I am? And that is the question that we're asking right now. As we lead up into Easter, as we start to dig into this, this series, I want you to ask the question, not just who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? Uh, there's a lot of people that just believe he's a good teacher, he's a good man, that uh, he taught some really good things. And if you follow the teachings of Jesus, he's just like Muhammad or Buddha or somebody like that that can just teach you how to live and do some good things. And if you do those things, then you'll end up with a good life. But that's not how Peter replied. Because when Jesus asked that question to his disciples, Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. My question to you as we begin this series is, who is Jesus to you? Is he a good man? Is he a good teacher? Does he have some good things to say? Or is he the Messiah, the one that has come to redeem you and take you out of this place of darkness and bring you into a place of light and rescue you from your sin and set you free from the bondage of that sin? Is that Jesus to you? Or is he something else? I think that that there's a lot of different ways to look at Jesus, and sometimes uh, we we look at him not necessarily in the way that the Bible presents him, but in in the way that we want Jesus to be portrayed in our own minds. Not that we really make up a Jesus, it's so much that we just kind of shape him and mold him in, in our own minds to try to fit a mold that maybe the Bible doesn't really show him fitting that mold. That's why it's so important that we focus on the Word of God, that you and I read the Word of God daily so that what can happen over time, in case you're not aware of this, uh, if you don't read God's Word enough, what can happen over time is your mind can start to make up some things that aren't really there. Uh, well, Jesus was this way because that's the way. I, I, he's, he was so good and he was so loving. And he was full of grace and mercy and all these things that you kind of twist that and contort it a little bit and All of a sudden, before you know it, the the Jesus that you think you know is not really the Jesus of the Bible. So that is the reason that we go back to the Bible continually, not only in here, but also in our daily lives, so that we can be reminded, who is God really, according to the Bible, and not just according to who you think that he is? So we're in this study. Who do you say that I am? Uh, That's the question he posed to his disciples and uh, we're going to be doing this study not only on Sunday mornings but also on Wednesday nights. Uh, our students started this study on Wednesday night. Let me encourage you to come and be a part of those worship services. They're not just for students; uh, they really are for adults too. Uh, I said this last week that that uh, people say it's just like what we do on Sunday mornings, except I'm a little more animated. If you can imagine that being the case, so. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we do this very same thing, and we study the Word of God, and immediately after that, we do have small groups for our youth, uh, but just know that that the worship time, the teaching of God's Word is all the same that we do on, on Sunday mornings. You're invited to come and be a part of that. We Actually, though I'm announcing it right now, uh, we're not going to have a service this Wednesday night because of spring break, but immediately after that, the following Wednesday, we will begin Wednesday night services again, and there may be some new Uh, Things I'm going to be sharing with you then. But on Wednesdays and Sundays, we're going to be doing this study Who Do You Say That I Am? And today we'll be continuing in Matthew. What we're going to do is we're going to actually go through the book of Matthew and and continue to talk about who Matthew shows that Jesus is. And today we'll be in Matthew chapter 8. We've been just progressing through the book of Matthew. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have time before Easter to cover all of Matthew. If I did, you guys would really be asleep. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to be taking different sections out of the book of Matthew and showing you exactly who Matthew shows that Jesus is, and Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. Matthew's whole purpose and how he presents Jesus to us is he wants to show us that Jesus is king. That is, that is the perspective from which Matthew writes. All of us have a different perspective. Like if somebody were to ask you, who do you say Kenny is, you, some of you would be like, man, that is a really sarcastic dude. Uh, he, he, I don't even know if I can tolerate him sometimes. Some of you would be like, man, he is so sweet. He is so nice. Just like my wife says all the time about me, he is such a sweet person. Uh, you are just going to love him to death. If you talk to him, you're going to fall in love with him because he is so, so sweet. Um, you would have a different perspective, right, from which you, you see me. Just as Matthew is trying to write to some people, Jews primarily, and tell them about how Jesus is king. So understand that as we go through the book of Matthew, as we take these excerpts from Matthew, that we will be looking at Jesus from the perspective of king as Matthew has portrayed him. So we begin in Matthew chapter 8. I have to give you some background before we jump into Matthew chapter chapter 8, verse 5. I will go ahead and read that to you. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, this sounds like a a really good story about about a guy, um, and he's coming to ask Jesus to heal his servant. Well, we've only read a couple of verses there, and let me tell you, there's a whole lot of depth to what's just being said, what's just gone on right there. You can't just read those verses and gloss right over them and like, that's good, all right, we're going to hear about Jesus healing somebody. All right, go on to the next thing. What has just happened is Jesus has just healed a man with leprosy. Now, leprosy was an awful disease. If you read the verses uh, 1 through 4, you can see where Jesus healed a man with leprosy. Leprosy was nasty, okay? Like, I mean, skin would literally just rot off the bone. I mean, it was some nasty stuff going on. So much so that people that had leprosy were cast out of the city. They said, you can't come back in here. If you come back in here, you will be... Uh, You will contaminate everybody else, and you are unclean. So when anybody with leprosy came around somebody that that didn't have leprosy, they would have to yell at a distance, unclean, unclean, so they would know to stay away from this person. Not only that, not only that, He's like if that's not bad enough, okay, the guy has like boils and his skin's rotting off and flesh is falling off the bones, that's nasty, and he has to deal with the fact that he can't touch anybody or come near to anybody. His family can't hug him. His family can't even really get in close proximity to him. He's just an outcast living on the outside of the city. But there's also something worse than that. Not only is he physically unclean, according to everybody, but also they consider leprosy to be a, a visible uh, punishment for a person's sin like the reason this person has leprosy is because they had grievous sin in their life because they had grievous sin in their life God has poured out his punishment on these people and given them leprosy and now they're having to be separated and they couldn't even worship God the way everybody else could they couldn't come anywhere near the temple they couldn't do all the other things that people did to be close to God they were considered not only physically unclean but spiritually unclean and Jesus has just told this man with leprosy he says I'm going to heal you. He says, if you will, he asked Jesus, if you will, and Jesus says, I will. I will heal you. And not only was this man reconnected uh, he, went, he, he had to go back and present himself to the priest. And they would say, yes, indeed, you were healed of leprosy. You're clean now. God has cleansed you. And apparently you were good to go now. And, and not only did, did Jesus restore this whole man's life, but he also restored the fact that he could be close to people again. That he could, be, he could come into the temple again. He could come and, and worship God and be close to everybody again. And Jesus has just healed this man. These people with leprosy are the lowest of the low. They're on the bottom rung of society, like nobody wants to be around them, except Jesus. Except Jesus. That's good news for us, right? That's really good news for us, because I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I look at my sin, I look at my nastiness and filthiness and how the fact that I feel like I'm an outcast, I'm on the outside of everything else, and I go, God, I just don't feel so good about myself. I feel nasty, I feel dirty, I feel filthy. And like, I just, when people come around, I want to yell, unclean, unclean! So that people will run away and they won't get near me. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. You know who the people that Jesus is hanging around? It's the unclean people. The people that nobody else wants to hang around, that's the people Jesus is hanging around. And so much so that we we see that Jesus has healed this man And for you and I, not only did he heal the man of the leprosy, but he healed his spirit as well. He healed his soul as well, right? So now he could go back and he could worship and he could be around everybody else and he could have that connection with God. For you and I, as we feel unclean, when when Jesus intercedes in our life and he comes in and he starts chipping away at all the disease and the filth that's in our lives and he he cleanses us and makes us clean and renews us and gives us a right heart, and all of a sudden, We're like, man, there's a lot of freedom in that. The burden has been lifted. I feel like, though I may not be okay in the realm of everybody else, I am okay around Jesus. Jesus wants to be around me. Oh, that is such good news for me. So that's where it starts, right? So I had to preface Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5, with the first four verses and tell you that Jesus has just healed a man with leprosy and just made him clean. And healed his soul and his spirit. And he was hanging around the people that nobody else wanted to hang around. Then all of a sudden, we have this Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He's in charge of a hundred men. He's like, uh, the, the Jews in this day and time are controlled uh, by the Romans. They, they have to pay taxes to the Romans. They don't like that. Uh, they're not really fond of having to pay taxes. I don't know if you can identify with that, but I'm not really fond of paying taxes either. Uh, when April rolls around, you know, I hang my head, and it's, it's a little bit heavier, it's a little bit more dreary outside. Uh, it's okay if you don't like taxes. These people didn't like taxes either, and as a matter of fact, the Roman soldiers, every time they saw the Roman soldiers, it, it would kind of be like a reminder to them that they had Roman occupation in their territory, that the Romans were there, and, and yes, they were keeping the peace, so to speak, sometimes, and being like the police, but also... Uh, they were also uh, a representation of the fact that they had to answer to somebody else who wasn't a Jew. And most folks didn't like the Romans for that reason. So here we got a Roman soldier. Not only does he represent the fact that the Roman occupation is there. And they are, in, are controlled by the Romans. But it's most likely, the way these Roman soldiers were hired, it's most likely that this, this would have been a Samaritan. Somebody that most likely uh, would have sold out and, and went and married Uh, intermarried with somebody else who wasn't a Jew and then they would have been hired as a Roman soldier. So this person, the reason I tell you all that is because this person would have been really despised. Nobody would have liked this guy, okay? Except one guy who was a Jew who kind of loved everybody and his name was Jesus. I don't know if you heard about this guy, but he's really awesome and you really need to pay attention to who he is because it's going to be important in your life who he is and who he is to you. And the fact that no matter where you've been or what you've done or the fact that maybe nobody else likes you, Jesus wants to be around you. No matter how dirty, filthy, nasty, awful you feel, Jesus wants to be around you. He wants to rescue, out of that, rescue you out of that and take you from darkness into light. That is what he wants to do in your life. And then also this. He has, he has this Roman soldier come up to him and the Roman soldier not only... Is there talking to Jesus, and most people wouldn't have liked the Roman soldiers, and most people wouldn't have wanted to talk to the Roman soldier, but also this Roman soldier says, he says, I need you to heal my servant. I've got a young servant, and the young servant is sick. What is that about? A lot of times, people would actually have, they would have, you can call them slaves if you want to. They had servants that that, that lived with them, and they they did whatever that the, the people asked them. And in exchange for that, they would take care of them, provide a place for them to live, and a, a place for them to to have their kids. and And maybe this young servant is actually somebody who who was a child of one of his slaves, or a child of one of the people that were supposed to live in his household and take care of some stuff around the house. And this young this uh, Roman soldier's has com- compassion on this. Small child, this little child. That's pretty unique, too, right? These, these servants sometimes were like part of the family, and they would take care of them. and And here, this this servant is so important to the centurion that the centurion goes to Jesus and says, "I need you to take care of this young child." Now you can imagine a, a Roman soldier maybe doing that for his own child and and wanting to go to Jesus to say. I need you to heal my child, but this is a servant's child, and this is one of his young servants living in his household. He says, Jesus, I need you to heal him. So what is going on here, man? It's the Roman soldier's showing you his faith. The Roman soldier is showing you how much that he believed that Jesus was the answer to what ailed him or anybody that he cared about or loved. If there's any question in your mind about who Jesus is, He is the only answer to the one that can heal your sickness and take away your pain and anguish and the only one that can give you true, genuine peace that surpasses all understanding. A lot of people search for a lot of different things trying to find that, don't they? Drugs, alcohol, sexual relationships, whatever, trying to find something that will fill the void, something that will make them feel better, make them feel kind of okay. Some people do this in order to, to feel loved. Some people drink, drug, drink alcohol or take drugs so that they don't have to worry about the fact that they don't feel loved, right? We know that that's the case. We know that that's the case. And am I telling you that, that if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if he, if he comes into your life and he wrecks you, that you'll never drink alcohol again or you'll never uh, turn to drugs again? I can't say that. But I promise you, if you continue to follow Jesus and you continue to seek what he has for your life, you won't want those things in your life. You won't have a desire for them like you used to have. If he rules and reigns in your life and he has a prominent place of position in your life, you'll be focused on him. I promise you all of those other things will fade into the background. If Jesus becomes big in your life, all of those things will become small. I can't say that they'll go away. I can't say that they'll disappear or you'll never struggle with them again. But I can say this, that if Jesus is prominent in your life, You'll have less and less of a desire for those things and more and more of a desire for the things of God. So here we see Jesus talking to a centurion, an outcast. Just like he was talking to the, the man with leprosy, we see Jesus also talking to a, a man who's an outcast. And in verse 8, it says this But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this is because I am under authority of superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to I only need to say go and they go or come and they come and if I say to my slaves do this they do it. Here's what the man says. I want you to understand this man's level of faith. I want you to understand where he is and who he believes Jesus is. He says, Jesus, I recognize who you are. As a matter of fact, I have so much faith in who you are, I recognize your place as God and my place as a human being. Our biggest problem with with where we are in our lives is when when we stop letting God be God and and we try to take that role and we try to become God and, and we try to get where he is, you recognize, of course, that that's exactly what Satan wanted to do that that's exactly where where he came and had his problem, where Lucifer came in and said, I will be like the Most High. I will be just like God. And when we do that, when we get things out of order, we don't let him be God and us be us, then things get all out of whack. Well, this man has it right. This man recognizes that Jesus is the answer for his young servant who is sick and dying. And he says, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. This is how strong his faith is. His faith is so strong, he says, I believe that if you will just say the word that he will be healed, all you have to do is speak the words of healing and it will happen. Notice that he doesn't say, oh, and by the way, his name is so-and-so and he has brown hair and he's eight years old and blah, blah, blah. He doesn't have to. You know why? Because God knows. Because Jesus is God and Jesus knows who this little boy or little girl is. Jesus recognizes who they are. And in your life, your sickness, your pain, your disease, God knows you. He knows who you are. He knows what you're dying from. He knows the ailments in your life. He knows the sickness of your soul. He knows you so intimately because he knit you together in your mother's womb. God knows who you are. Jesus knew who this little servant, boy or girl, was. And then he, he gets a taste of this man's faith. This man says, you don't have to go, Jesus. I have no authority to command you to do anything. Even though it appears that he was just asking Jesus to come, he understands that by him just asking, if Jesus responds and says, I will go then that's almost like him giving a a command to God and he says, I'm not worthy to do that. He says, look, I'm a centurion. I've got men underneath me and and I've got superior officers above me and I know what it means to follow their orders and do what they say. He says, "I, I got no place of authority here. And he comes to Jesus humbly and he says, you just say the words because I have faith that if you say the words of healing, this young servant will be healed. How's your faith? How's your faith in God and your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you ever make demands of God? Like, God, I I need you to do this. I I need you to to make this happen. If you make this happen, I'll be at church on Sunday, and I'll be at church on Wednesday, and I'll, I'll do these things. God, you do this, and then I'll do some stuff. There are so many people that are trying to play this game with God, like, God, you do it, all right, and then I will be good to you. You be good to me, and then I'll be good to you. And that's not how it works. See, God is God, and you are you, okay? And if that gets out of whack, and you start saying, well, God, you do this, and I'll do that, and we'll meet somewhere in the middle, it don't work like that. You just say, God, you be God and I'm going to trust you that whether my daughter receives healing or not, that if she lives or if she dies, I'm going to trust you and trust your plan. And you let him be God. See, because I don't care what plans you have, okay? And you may think, well, I know what's best for me. No, you don't. I know the way things are supposed to work out. No, you don't. I was in that same boat. I thought I knew the way things were supposed to work out. I thought I had a plan, and this is what the plan is supposed to be. And, God, you need to make it happen so that this plan comes to fruition. You need to make it happen this way. And God said, no, you let me be God, and you be you. And you trust me, and you trust my plan. And I promise it will work out for my glory, and you're good. And here we have this centurion with such great faith, and he says, God, I trust you, if you will just say the words, you know this person, you know their ailment, you know who they are, you know my heart. This is what it says in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. It's pretty difficult to amaze Jesus. I don't know if you recognize that or not, but for Jesus to go, whoa, that's a big deal, okay? If Jesus is amazed by your faith, that's a big deal. In case you were wondering, here it says, Jesus heard this, he was amazed, He says, turning to those who are following him, he said this, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. All of the Jews, none of the Jews have faith like this. He says, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world. That's us, by the way, come from all over the world, from east and west, and will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, "Go back home because you believed it and it has happened, and the young servant was healed the same hour. Can you imagine when the Roman soldier went back and they said, "What time did you meet with that Jesus guy? I heard that you were going to meet with him. What time was that?" And they said, "It's about 2: 30." And I said, "That is so crazy because at that same time, your servant child was healed." A Roman soldier is like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. You think he ever had any doubt that when Jesus said it that it was going to happen? You know, we talked about a, a week ago or a couple weeks ago how, how Satan is a liar and he's a, he's a father of lies. Well, Jesus is the father of truth. He is the truth. He's the living word of God and what he says goes and he said it and instantaneously it happened and this Roman soldier, I imagine he, his mind wasn't even blown. He just said, well, Jesus said it, therefore it happened. I don't, I'm not surprised by that. Sometimes in our feeble minds, we get so surprised when Jesus tells us to do something and we're obedient to that and Jesus just makes it happen and we go, wow, I didn't think that could happen. Isn't that amazing how we do that all the time? God says, I want you to go do this. I want you to go start a church in a grocery store. And before you know it, like people are talking about it and stuff is happening. you're like, wow, there's really a church there. Why do we get so amazed? You know why? Because we're just kind of dumb, you know? In our feeble minds, we think we got it all figured out and we thought that we did something. And God's like, no, it's just been me the whole time. It's just been me the whole time. I just... You were just walking in the plan I had laid out for you. You were just doing the things that that I knew were going to happen all along. Oh, we doubt we're so full of doubt and we're so full of anxiety about what's going to happen tomorrow we're so so full of tears about man, what if this happens and and what if this happens, and what if this happens? I, I read about Beth Moore one time she was just you know, full of fear and doubt at one point in time. Yes, all every person, if you're walking on this earth, you get full of fear and doubt. And she was like, you know, I was worried, well, what, what, if, what if my husband dies? What if something happens to my husband? And, 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 and she was like, you know, I just kept going down this, this road of, of despair thinking, but what if that happens? And she's like, God just finally said, well, what if that happens? And she's like, well, I will cry and I'll be upset and I'll be just distraught for a long time. And she said, God spoke to me and said, and then what? She said, well, then I'll probably be a little less upset, but I'll probably still continue to be a place of despair, and I I won't want to get up in the mornings. And God said, well, well, then what? She said, well, then I guess I'll get up, and I'll dust myself off, and I'll go back to doing the things that God called me to do. See, when you trust God, when you believe that Jesus' plan is the right one for you, that when you finally say, enough with me, and I'm just going to follow him, then all of a sudden the worry and all of that kind of stuff just kind of fades into the background. When he gets really big in your life, all these other things just kind of fade in the background. Now I'm not telling you that that I don't miss my daughter. I'm not telling you that at all, because I miss her desperately. And yesterday I spent a lot of time crying and a lot of tears were shed. But I can tell you that today, I knew that today I was going to get up here and I was going to preach God's word. And even if the gates of hell stood against me, when I came to that door, I was still going to get up here and preach God's word. And I was still going to come into these doors, and I was going to lift my hands and worship Jesus Christ. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Those words, they, don't just, they aren't just words on a page. They're real life if you believe them. And I said, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens I'm going to be here. I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm I'm going to let God's word penetrate my mind and I'm going to get my heart ready so I can preach God's word and I'm going to get my heart ready so I can sing praises to the almighty King of Kings and nothing is going to keep me from that. Nothing is going to keep me from that. So as you look at who Jesus is, who he is to you, do you have faith like the centurion where you say, you know what God, no matter what, No matter what, you're going to be God in my life. You're going to be the one that brings anything good that comes into my life. You're going to be the one. And if something bad comes into my life, I know that you're still the one. And you're still the one that's there for me. And you're still the one that has eternity wrapped up. If I will just trust you and trust your plan. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Because some people want to make him into somebody that just just answers my prayer. Somebody that just does what I want him to do. Not so. Not so. He is everything, and and, and He is an understanding beyond what we can understand. And His plan is far greater than ours. If you'll just embrace it and you will let Him do what He wants to do in your life, you will be amazed. And if your faith is strong enough, Jesus will be amazed. Let me pray. Father God, thank You, Lord, for this Word. Thank You for the faith of the centurion. Lord, I just pray, God, as as we look at who Jesus is... God, we recognize who he really is, who the God of this Bible is, who the Jesus of this Bible is. And God, I know that sometimes we can be distracted and we can hear what other people say and sometimes it twists and contorts who Jesus really is. But God, I pray that in this season, as we're leading up to Easter, I pray that we can recognize Jesus for who he is in the Bible. God, who you have shown him to be. Lord, there are people here that are hurting. God, there are people here that may be struggling with addiction. They may be struggling with loss. They may be struggling with their own physical ailments. God, but I know this. I know that Jesus is the answer. I know that Jesus, Jesus is the answer for whatever trials and tribulation there may be in our life. Jesus is the answer. So, God, I pray if there's anybody here who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they would seek him out today. And they would say, enough with me. And let me make Jesus the center point in my life. Let him have prominence in my life so I can follow him And I can follow his plan for my life. God, I believe if they do that, they will find themselves being set free. I believe that they will find themselves in a place of restoration. They will find themselves in a place of peace like they can't imagine in their own minds. So God, whatever you need to do in these people, God, I pray that you would do it. And it would all be for your glory. God, help us to rest in your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.